I golf, but I'm not a golfer. I skate, but I'm not a skater. And I run, but I'm not a runner either. You know what I mean? I know exactly what I mean. My husband is a runner. For example, we might both decide we're going to run in the morning. I set my alarm and he sets his. He makes room for it in his schedule. I make room for it in mine. I wake up and I hop out of bed and he does the same. And I look outside and it's raining and I get so excited. And then so does my husband. I hop back into bed. I pull the covers up over my head and decide, well, can't go running today. He puts on his rain gear and said, this is going to be a great run. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Don't get me wrong. While I might not be a runner, I have run in a few races. I remember one in particular, as many of the others I have repressed. I had just started running after taking some years off, like I had barely just started again. And I was running up about 2.5 miles without having to stop. I was at our small group meeting and I shared with that group and that I was up to 2.5 miles now and I asked for prayer that I'd be able to continue to be disciplined in my pursuit and be able to add more. And one of the guys in our group asked if I was planning on running in the 5K race the next day in our town. I told him I hadn't even heard about it. So he let me know when it started, where it was, how much it cost. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. And then he said, yeah, they're giving out long sleeve t-shirts to people for ironing in it. And I'm like, wait, what? A long sleeve? So um, I found out 5K was 3.2 miles, and I thought, well, that's almost like 2.5, so I decided to do it. I woke up early the next morning. I told Kenny, do not bother coming with the kids. The twins were like maybe around six or seven, so our daughter was four or five, and the youngest was like two or three or whatever. So I put on my running shoes, got ready to go. It was a warm day. I put a rubber band around my wrist and had written the reference Philippians 4.13 on it. I thought I was going to use this to remind me that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I wasn't realizing at that time that that verse actually refers more to living in contentment than in running a race, but whatever. I had plans on snapping my wrist to keep my focus. No, no, I didn't plan on just reading it, but it wasn't my plan. My plan was snapping. Anyway, I drove to the starting area and I checked in. They asked if I was doing the 5K or the 15K. Yeah, usually it seems like there are 10Ks, but whatever, that one was a 15K. And there's quite a few 15K races too, I guess. I told them I was planning on doing the 5K for sure. They asked me my age so they could see if I'd win a prize in my age bracket. So I told them I was 90 and then I nervously laughed. And then I shared my true age and I nervously laughed some more. I asked where the start was and then I just kept on nervously laughing. I realized I kind of had to go to the bathroom, but I didn't have a watch on, and I was so afraid I'd miss the start, so I tucked myself out of it. And as I was walking away from the check-in table and started, started pinning the number on my shirt, I overheard the sweet couple say they were in their 70s, and they were doing the 5K as well. They were so grateful they could be there, as one of them, I didn't hear which one, had just had a hip replacement, and they'd been training and working up to this day. 
I casually looked back to eye my competition and I started to pray, Lord, please help me not to finish this race last and please help me. And I kind of stopped for a minute. I'm like, oh man, what am I going to say? Help me beat the older couple. That sounded so harsh or help me go faster than anybody who's had any major joints replaced. I instead just snapped my rubber band and decided I needed the Lord to help me even before I started this race. I walked toward the parking lot where I saw everybody gathered with numbers on their chests. I'm like, well, this is obviously the place for us athletes. So I asked around just to make sure I was in the right area. I didn't want to accidentally end up in the 15K group. I was informed, oh, we all start together. And partway through, the 15K people, they peel off and they follow a new trail. So that sounded easy enough. I looked around and I could identify pretty much who was in which group. There is this one man I remember in maybe his late 50s. He was wearing shorts kind of like Larry Bird or Dr. J playing basketball in the 70s. They were just super short. And he was warming up with high stepping. He would high step slow and then high step super fast. And then high step slow and then high step super fast. I was mesmerized and apparently was looking too interested as he looked my way and he asked my name and which race I'd signed up for. And if I run races often, I said, Kirsten, 5K, nope. And then I quit staring at him. I looked around to see if there was a bathroom anywhere nearby and saw the closest one was still too far for me. I reminded myself that I had gone right before I left home and I'm going to be fine. I started questioning if a long sleeve t-shirt was worth this anxiety and I decided, you know, it isn't. I was debating about whether or not I should just run in my car and get home in time for breakfast with the kids, or should I stay here? And I didn't have time to really decide what I was going to do before the event coordinator climbed on top the six-foot ladder with his megaphone in one hand and a starting gun in the other. He told us about the course veering off. He said there'd be water at 1.5 miles. He mentioned water, and I decided I actually don't have to go to the bathroom. Instead, I decided I was parched. My tongue suddenly felt fat and dry and in need. I worried about dehydrating. I told myself, you cannot be dehydrated if just two minutes ago you felt like you had to go to the bathroom. And then I answered myself and said, that was just psychological. I didn't really have to go to the bathroom. Instead, what is more likely true is that I am in fact dehydrated because just think about how dry your tongue feels. I decided I agreed with my second self, so maneuvered my way toward the front of the group. I needed to get to that cup of water quickly. I wondered if I was feeling a little bit dizzy, too. I mean, it was a really hot day. And then I was interrupted with, on your marks, get set, bang! And I jumped, and I just started running. I was passed almost immediately by skimpy shorts, and then by about 50 other people. I started having that feeling you get, you know, when you're in a parking lot, and the guy next to you starts leaving, driving, and you're wondering, am I moving or is it them? That's kind of how I felt. Am I even moving? I tried to take a deep breath. And then I snapped my wrist with my rubber band to remind myself, you can do this, you can do this. And then I started panting. And then I started thinking about the cup of water. And I was getting hot. And I was thinking about how warm I was. And I was getting past my more people. I looked back to see if I was last. And I wasn't yet. And then I wondered how close we are to the halfway mark. Oh, am I almost going to be able to get this cup of water? And then I saw a mile marker ahead. And I was so excited. And I got up to the marker. And it read 0.5. I'm not even kidding. I thought, this cannot be right. That's like five blocks. And I felt like I'd been running forever already. And then I thought, well, maybe it's a marker for the 15K people instead. And then I realized that does not even make any sense. It's the same distance. I told myself I was probably getting delirious because of the, the heat and the lack of water. And also, I started slowing down my pace. 
not by choice. I just did. I felt like the distance between markers 0.5 and 1.0 was certainly wrongly measured. I questioned why I was doing this. I started thinking about what I was going to do when I got my cup of water. Should I take a sip, then dump the rest on my head, or should I pour a little on my head and then take a sip? I didn't think I could trust myself not to drink at all, so I decided on the latter option. I approached the one and a half mile mark and saw the people who had gathered to hand out the water cups. I decided I want to do this someday. What a blessing they are. I hope they know that. I ran over to one of them, took the cup of cold water, told them they were a blessing and turned around and instead of tossing the water onto my head to cool myself off, I threw it behind me, forgetting all about the physics of me moving forward and my arm moving backwards and the speed and direction of the water and all and I felt nothing. I looked in the cup to see if there were any drops left to see if I could get one to slide down the cup for my parched tongue and couldn't get a thing. I threw my cup on the ground and hoped there would be some other opportunity to get a drink somewhere. I decided I hated running. I told myself I should be thankful that I didn't just have a hip replaced. So I was glad about that for a little bit. She made me casually glance behind me. The course veered off somewhere after this and all of the 15K runners left us. Tons of people left. I started getting nervous about losing my way on the course. What if everybody was in front of me so much faster that I didn't know where to go? So I tried to run faster. I snapped my wrist. I kept complaining about the heat. I'd get passed by a few more people. Then I'd look back to see if anyone else was still behind me. I started realizing why after the 5K on the shirts, it said 5K run walk and 15K run. Our course started winding through a park. Oh, It was a beautiful trail I found out years later when we went back there for a picnic. I ran across a wooden bridge. A little while later, I heard somebody else's footsteps on that bridge. Ah, yes, I was hopeful. I wasn't last. It was a little cooler in the woods, too, than it was along the road, which was super nice. I found I quit snapping my wrist. I didn't even feel that thirsty anymore. I was enjoying the shade. And then I started running up a bit of an incline. Are you kidding me? A hill? Ugh. I started thinking I knew what athletes meant when they said they hit a wall. I started hoping for my second wind. I told myself, that is for longer races. I'm sure of it. I started doing math in my head and realized 3.2 miles is 0.7 miles longer than I'd ever run before. And 0.7 was 0.2 longer than 0.5 and only 0.3 less than another full mile. And I didn't know what I was concluding. But I told myself if I could do math, I probably wasn't delirious. And then I answered myself and said, but you don't know why you're doing it, so maybe you are. I realized at this point, I did not have much of a mental game. As I crested the hill, I saw the finish line a ways ahead. I also started hearing people yelling, mom, 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 mom. And four little people started running up to my legs. It was too soon. Why are they here? Why is my husband here? Why is my husband holding our gigantic video camera? I sort of smiled as I gently tried to shoo these little ones away. I said, I'll meet you at the finish. And they ran ahead of me, crossed the finish line, and then turned back to see if I was still coming. Eventually, I crossed the finish line too. My husband was continuing to film. My kids were surrounding me, and I dropped down to the ground as fast as I could and sat on the ground as I was actively realizing at that very moment I was not dehydrated and I should have gone to the bathroom before my run. I asked my husband, could you please just shut the camera off now? And then started answering these rapid fire questions. Mommy, why are you sitting on the ground? Mommy, what are you doing? Mommy, was that your fastest? Mommy, daddy said we could get pancakes to celebrate that you're a racer. 
I got up and slowly waddled over to get an orange. I hugged my kids and I hugged my husband. And after a bit, I heard some wild cheering. I looked over just in time to see the sweetest couple walking hand in hand across the finish line, which reminds me of another race. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, he despised its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I was younger, I envisioned this text so wrong, so self-focused. I read about the large cloud of witnesses and and pictured them in a large arena, kind of like the Olympics. They were wandering around the aisles, looking for a seat with a good view. They were getting snacks and something to drink. They're settling into their stadium seats, putting their cups in the ground in front of them. This is pre-cup holder days. So they'd have a free hand for their pennant or foam finger or cowbell or whatever they were going to use to cheer on the runners. And in my mind's eye, I was a runner. I was out on the field. I was getting my feet in the starting blocks. I was checking out the opposition, figuring out my place at the finish. I envisioned this cloud of witnesses, as the writer of Hebrews calls them, cheering me on. They were there to what? Witness what? My great race. And I was there to please them and give them something to cheer about. Go, Kirsten, go. Basically, in my mind, I had wrongly paraphrased this verse to read, Therefore, since so many people are watching us live this Christian life, we are obligated to do good things for them to cheer about. This is not the picture at all. Instead, what did the writer of the book of Hebrews mean? Who are these witnesses? And to what are they testifying? The witnesses are the faithful followers of God mentioned in the previous chapter, chapter 11, and other places as well. We see men and women in chapter 11 who are exemplified for their faith. We read of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, Samuel, Rahab, others. Each one responded to God by faith when it seemed odd to do so. They placed their faith and hope and trust in God when it seemed unimaginable or difficult or in some cases maybe even a little ridiculous. For example, in Genesis 6, God tells Noah, build an ark, get your family and animals, climb in, and you're going to be saved from what I'm calling a massive flood. This is nothing you have ever seen or could even imagine, but do what I tell you to do. And Noah does exactly as God instructed him, it says in scripture. Or Joshua, as we read about in Joshua chapter 6, God gives a message to him and it says, in order for you to conquer this city, you're going to march around the city. I'm going to give the order of the people how you're going to march. You're going to play instruments. You're going to carry the ark and there's going to be instruments for days. And then on day seven, wait for it. Yeah, what? Do it again. Wait, what? Yep. You're going to do it then, only this time seven times. And then you're going to shout loud, really, really loud. And those walls, they're going to fall down. And Joshua listened to these instructions, and what did he do? He lined up the armed men, the priests, the trumpets, the ark. He did exactly as he was told. Joshua, Noah, and the others in chapter 11, these are just some of the people who make up this great cloud of witnesses mentioned in chapter 12. So what are they witnessing? What is it? What are, to what do they testify? 
they have witnessed and they testify to the faithfulness of God. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses of these people who are testifying to the faithfulness of God. They responded in faith in their lifetime because they knew God was trustworthy and he was faithful himself. This large cloud of witnesses, the ones mentioned in chapter 11 in the Old Testament and others not mentioned, and we can read about other faithful witnesses in the New Testament as well. These faithful witness are bearing witness to the faithfulness of God. Their lives are the evidence. And the writer of the book of Hebrews wants his first readers, and now us as well, to be encouraged and inspired to run our race of faith in the same way. How do we do this? Hebrews 12, 1 goes on. It says, we are to lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. We need to get rid of anything that trips us up, anything that prevents us from holding our gaze on our faithful God. A sin is something that goes directly against what God's word says. A hindrance is something that just gets in the way of running our faith race faithfully. It can be something we're not doing as well as something we're wrongly doing. I may be hindered in my race of faith due to a lack of understanding of my faithful God, which I would get if I was not reading the word or if I was not in friendship or fellowship with other believers. If I was not going somewhere where I could actively learn and have my my relationship with God strengthened, if I was not giving him the time and attention he desires, If I wasn't doing any of these things, I would be hindered. My mental game would be off. I would be spiritually dehydrated. I may be hindered in my race of faith as well because of things I'm doing. Maybe I'm living a self-focused life. Maybe I'm doing things to please and promote myself over and against looking to please and promote God. I might become more concerned about not being last than I am about cheering on those who are running with me. This kind of stuff needs to get flushed out of our system, right? So how can I know what my deal is? I need to fix my gaze. Hebrews 12.2 says we should keep our eyes on Jesus because he's the source and perfecter of our faith. He gives our faith life as he gives us life. He perfects our faith as we are following his example to do so. What did he do? Verse 3 says, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He conquered death. And while he lived his life on earth, he endured. He did what God called him to do. He despised the shame that went along with being wrongly accused, wrongly convicted, wrongly put to death. All because he knew it was God's plan for him. He knew his death would bring life. And then knowing this, And focusing on the eternal rather than on the temporal, he was able to endure. He focused on the joy that was before him, the joy of sitting at the right hand of his father, knowing he accomplished all that was planned in advance for him to do. So what about us? What do we do now? How do we run our race well? We focus on Jesus, really. We think about him. We talk to him. We hear from him as we read the word. We obey him. We allow him to perfect our faith. We do not allow the temporal to hinder us. We focus on the eternal instead, and we trust the witnesses of those who have gone before us and of those who walk beside us that say, God is faithful. He can be trusted. 
He will be faithful as we place our faith and trust in Him. 